Welcome to a podcast on fire on Manhunt and Just Heroes. And John Woo returns to the genre that made his name with 2017's Manhunt. And in 1989, Woo and friends joined together to help out, out a friend and mentor. And the result was 1989's Just Heroes. My name is Kelly B. And with me for the first time, well... Not for the first time, technically, on Podcast on Fire, but we'll, we'll certainly explain that. But regardless, who's with me? It is Trapped in the Screening Rooms, the host of that very podcast, and his name is Tyler Miller. Hello, buddy. Hey, how's it going, Ken? How, uh, what, why is this first, but not technically first? Well, is the, we recorded something for a podcast that Tyler initiated that was uh, abandoned for no other reasons than there was sort of life in between and good things happened afterwards. But that conversation was uh, was reused on this network because I thought it was good conversation. So um, and uh, because what, what Tyler did was uh, in that interview piece and then chat about movies across two hours or whatever, he uh, prepared very well. And uh, I was very pleased that uh, someone did. So it was a fun discussion to do when we did it in 2016. And it was a fun discussion to bring back. But I thought uh, now when uh, Podcast on Fire is not going away, it's not going to be archived and then have to be reused by someone else. This would be the perfect time to bring bring on Tyler properly. Well, thank you very much. Well, hopefully we won't have to post-dub this episode because I am... uh notorious for uh butching up japanese names so if my pronunciations get pretty hair raising uh just let me know well uh, i'm 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 not an expert on japanese cinema woman names or or even when uh the proper order of names when it comes to japanese names so uh, you're probably better than i am in that regard but um, <laughs> and there, there, there will be a reason why it this show will be sort of japanese themed and tinted because manhunt is uh, largely a japanese language uh, movie mixed language but uh, we'll get to that and it's uh, japan connection but uh, in terms of you tyler you, you you're not like content with being you know idle is what i've uh, gathered uh, watching you on social media and your productivity i mean you are a podcaster yourself so let, let, let's uh, start with that very thing like you've gone from one podcast to another but it, this podcast uh, which uh, you are going to give the name again to us uh, this leans still more towards being a radio show and actual airwaves or is it still still so to say just on the web or what's the sort of context in terms of how you craft trapped in the screening room um well trapped in the screening room is my uh, movie review show and it's through the school i go to currently um i'm located in uh, denver colorado and uh, through my college um, i work with their radio station and it's kind of a weird situation because it's technically a podcast but they do air it uh, through rotation at the same time every week so there's usually um, I've I've been fortunate enough to have um, good connections with press people and setting up film reviews Um, so usually there's a new episode and I have I usually have at least one more in the kind of in the folder so if i do happen to be sick or can't use my voice for whatever reason um i can keep it in rotation but yeah it's um it's so it, it technically is a podcast but since it's part of internet radio um they are starting to add more commercial breaks and um kind of play around with the format and i've actually started working on the leadership team there so um actually in the next couple months um probably in fall of 2018 uh, there'll be some big changes and they'll kind of 
more mirror, um, I guess, a standard radio um, kind of um, format. Um, kind of think of like uh, Mark Kermode's, uh, like the, the BBC radio, of how he does his live show. Mm-hmm. Um, so over in England. Um, so it's kind of kind of like that where it's it's I have my notes and it's loose film reviews, but it's still it's kind of a mix of improv and actually having my written review in front of me and kind of, you know, sparring there. But yeah, it's so it's technically a podcast with a little bit of radio sandwiched in there a little bit. What's the sort of uh, mission statement currently in terms of what movies you cover or its new releases and whatever you're a fan of that you can squeeze in there or what's the what's the deal Yoda? well that was the original idea was they didn't have a film critic so um i kind of jumped in and was like here 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 hire me um so i guess my enthusiasm kind of caught on and they just sort of hired me on um but yeah that's it's pretty much the main focus is to you know cover new movies that are currently out and then, um, you know, kind of reflect back, kind of like what we're doing on this episode where we have a new release and then like an older film that kind of can be compared, whether it be from the same creators or if in this case, if it's a remake, I can talk about the earlier film or any pre-existing franchise. But um, I'm hoping to do more retrospectives once I start doing more text reviews for the website. Yeah, that makes it fun, I suppose, that where you can pick and choose your evolving path rather than uh, follow a set one by the radio station uh, because uh, i don't know it, it just feels better doesn't it where when you, you you're able to bring context that people want to hear you know just for the sake of being current like uh, people may want to hear a review of the latest jurassic park movie but you have something else where the dino related that you want to bring in the show <laughs> on the show too and that's your choice and not this um, out of left field choice that's alienating yeah. or anything. Like it's a, it's it sounds like after all is said and done, you are the programmer for uh, for this whole shebang. Yeah, and and I've been very fortunate in the fact that um, they don't assign me films to review. I I pick them, and if there is a chance to do a press screening, um, then they'll set it up with me. But my, you know, I have almost complete freedom as long as I don't go on to like a giant rant or turn into like a, you know, Howard Stern or something. You know, I have to keep it a little bit formatted. You know, I can't just rant for two hours. But um, but yeah, it's I've been really fortunate to uh, have almost complete creative control over it. So um, it's podcasting the way I'd like to do and um, and actually have, you know, a nice studio setup where it's not background noise in my uh, living room or something. Yeah, it's a sweet professional setup in a way where that us uh, normies in terms of the podcasting world. We we don't have <laughs> oh, that no. setup. We we just sit in a little corner and uh, we, we don't have a board in front of us. I have a little podcast corner that I can barely squeeze into because it's literally in a corner after I've set up my mic and mic stand and everything's in front of me. So it's uh, I've, I've trapped myself in the podcasting podcasting corner. So Well, and, and not to go on to too big of a tangent, but I will say when it comes to quote unquote normies, I mean, uh, it's, you know, it's still the same kind of routine. The only difference is... Um, I currently live with roommates, so if they decide to have people over, I don't have to compromise when I'm, you know, when I'm going to record. But I will say that you know, it's shows like this, um, and I'm not just saying this because I'm on right now, but it's shows like this or hello, you know, this is the Doom Show, 
where it's like that attention to detail is kind of what helped me kind of get a professional sense of podcasting. That and of course, you know, people with lots of energy, such as yourself or even Kevin Smith. I still I really like listening to Fat Man and Batman. Thanks very much. Oh, we just try to uh, put on as good of a show as we can with as much context and fun as we can and whether or not that is enthusiastic or passionate is not really up to me or us uh, the team so to say to uh, but uh, we i would say we know we put on a decent enough show and we can always do better uh, audio is something you learn along the way i'm still learning about audio sometimes audio is not cooperating with you despite you knowing seemingly what you're doing sometimes you're at the mercy of the internet and uh, but uh, yeah it, it's an evolving process that um, i'm glad to take part in i i teach myself something ever so slightly new along the way in terms of audio and and, and doing this and uh, i don't know about you i i do listen to a lot of podcasts uh, and but if i'm being honest and this is not a slight to anyone there's very very few movie review podcasts that i listen to uh one because i listen to so many other unrelated podcasts uh, the uh, unrelated in terms of uh, they're not about movies they're interview shows or what have you and sometimes and sometimes tyler the last thing i want to listen to is a movie <laughs> review podcast and that stands from the fact that sometimes i don't know how you work sometimes you can be subconsciously affected by someone else's reviewing style and then you veer away from your reviewing style right like like you i i like, like i can be influenced and adopt sometimes in a way that's not constructive for me don't compare yourself but sometimes you gotta stay away from any opportunity that might arise in terms of comparing yourself to other shows so Oh, yeah, that's definitely something that um, I had to kind of put a mental block to when I started because um, it's really easy to get discouraged, especially if you have a lot of you know prior engagements. And uh, when I did the first podcast, apologize to the podcast, my, my big thing was I didn't realize the huge undertaking that scheduling can be and how... The most difficult thing about <laughs> podcasting is scheduling, believe it or not. Yes. I can handle the audio filtering. Uh, I can handle mixing sound effects. But when it comes to trying to get two schedules to meet up, it's such a such a headache. Um, even within the same time zones and crap like that, even that is difficult. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're recording all the way from Sweden. I'm recording from the United States. I mean, even that is, you know, a huge thing. But, um, you know, I can't imagine having a regular co-host um, anymore just because it's, you know, uh, scheduling can be such a nightmare. So that's why I'm really impressed with what you guys do at Podcast and Fire, because not only do you have this show, but you have all the other shows. And um, I can't imagine dealing with the workload. So um, I, I congratulate you for um, for your efforts, sir. So Thanks very much. I'm, I'm happy to do it. And I've never, I've never placed any demand on any of the co-hosts, uh, which is uh, just the way to do it, really. Um, so, so, so if there's a six-month break between one uh one you know a one this weekend's lease and a new this weekend's lease that's due to scheduling but also that life is uh, in the way and that's no problem so i think because we we're not um we're not an enterprise that's uh, profitable and it's not supposed to be profitable then you can't place any demand on co-host the only place thing you can place a demand on is your how you view the profile of the show and how you 
view the regularity of the output. And I've always said to myself, well, you've got to stay out there, but there is also a case for, you know, take a little break every now and again and don't um, don't overexpose. So maybe make people crave for more by having a little break, right? So, uh, but, uh, um, you know, it's uh, it's all good. It seems to be working. And uh, before we go any further, Trapped in the Screening Room has a uh, place on the World Wide Web. So where shall people go and surf to if they want to find Trapped in the Screening Room? <laughs> yeah, um, well, if you want to get trapped in the Screening Room too and possibly uh, get crushed by some film cans like this happened to me, uh, no, but um, you can find uh, my show at um, mymetmedia.com. And we also have a Facebook page now, which I'm um, updating, um, which you can find at Trapped in the Screen Room on Facebook. So if you want to drop a like or subscribe, go for it. Um, and if you want to send any hate mail, well, that's just not nice, but I won't stop you. And uh, we'll link to all of that. Uh, those are relevant links and for our relevant links, I'm going to keep it uh, short. Uh, for all your Podcast on Fire network needs, we are available on podcastonfire.com and this show covers Hong Kong cinema new and old, obviously with a tint of uh, mainland Chinese cinema. In this case, it is a co-production after all. And we have shows on Korean cinema, Japanese cinema, adult themed cinema. We did ninjas, uh, we do bonus episodes and what have you. So I hope you find something you like and if it's the first time you listen to us thank you very very much hope you like what you hear and uh, don't be a stranger let us know what you think uh, for instance on email podcast on fire at googlemail.com or follow the handy buttons to our social media such as facebook uh, we have an active page and also an active forum so join the forum it's called podcast on fire network uh, join the discussion and uh, let us know what you think uh, good or bad we can always use the uh, feedback and constructive remarks are indeed uh, welcome nice constructive remarks mind you that's us so follow all the relevant links over there and, and also we're available on itunes uh, or itunes slash apple podcasts obviously so uh if you do like the show subscribe rate and review and uh, hope you stick with us uh, as we uh, do a little uh, john woo double bill of uh, the very latest and something from uh, the uh, in the middle of his career so uh after the musical break, yeah, we are going to take a look at Manhunt from 2017, so sit tight and we'll be right back. <laughs> 一路有你相伴你物也随之消散是天使还是恶魔我都不会有遗憾早就领教我这世界没有绝对 And welcome back in the first review of this John Woo Double Bill is Manhunt from 2017 and plot from IMDb and I'd like to keep this plot very simple because it is simple accused of heinous crimes he didn't commit the prosecutor sets out on a mission to clear his name and that's not a telltale sign of Oh, this movie seems bad because the plot is sparse. Nope, that's as simple as the plot goes. And uh, let's do some brief opinions first of all before we go into some minor background and the actual review itself. So as for my short opinion, um, it, it's rough. It's not without its fun stretch, stretches and the actual show-stopping gunplay, which should be show-stopping, 
is more than okay. It's even exciting. Um, but as little as I, as I expected from Manhunt, I came away with the feeling that I, I, I was struggling with the in-between stuff that I was trying to connect as a fun B-movie experience, but it sort of didn't connect. It also tries to connect through that over-the-top visual energy that John likes. Uh, I, I was a bit detached and just had fun for some stretches of the movie. So, um, but But that's not me being like all... Where's the old John Woo? I want the old John Woo back <laughs> and everything sucks now. Bye. Where's Chai and Fat at? Exactly. It, it is what it is and uh, it's cool that he's doing heroic blood shit again, but uh, it uh, didn't connect fully for me. Uh, so uh, in short, first of all, uh, what's your uh, opinion of Manhunt? As a John Woo movie, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm really excited that it is a heroic bloodshed film. Um, and kind of like your opinion, it's um, it's rough around the edges. I think it's a little too long. And um, I think my biggest issue with the film is it's just sort of middle of the road. And it kind of starts off at a, a bad page. And it's almost like John Woo through um, kind of going on autopilot. Um, actually, when I was uh, talking about the movie with a friend, um, I actually compared it to Replacement Killers. Um, the movie with Cheyenne Fat from uh, Antoine Fuqua. And um, it kind of feels the same way. It's got the, the same story beats. It's got the visual style, but it's watered down for uh, consumption. And I have no idea if that has to do with the fact that this is a big co-production and he was filming in Japan. But, uh, you know, it's, it's a fun little B-movie. Um, I think it probably could have handled a few you know recuts or you know script polishes or something and really i it's probably one of the most entertaining films of his i've seen in a while um because i haven't seen uh red cliff or the crossing films no i, I never i never went into red cliff but pe- people say oh those are right it's just my i, I have a like a almost a, um, a syndrome where uh, when anything is uh, historical I feel like I must do homework before but I'm sure Red yes. Cliff puts <laughs> things in context before you through exp- exposition and the actual storytelling at hand so uh, it probably will be alright but uh, it will never go away it will always be there so oh, yeah. uh, I can pick it up either in the two part version or the the single edit um, version that's out there cool that's uh, we'll, we'll cut you off for now uh, this movie is adapted from either it's adapted purely from a Jap- the Japanese novel but that Japanese novel was made into a 1976 movie starring the great Kenta Kakura by uh, by the same English name uh, so, so I don't know if they based, t- took all the beats from that movie and put into Manhunt uh, but uh, the reason I'm so insecure about that and I don't know what I'm talking about is the fact that I haven't seen the original <laughs> yes. Manhunt I know John had expressed a desire not to remake necessarily Manhunt, but to honor the great Ken Takakura, which is a very noble thing to do, to go into creativity that way, uh, regardless of what you think of Manhunt. But you have actually seen the, uh, speaking of long, <laughs> the actual yes. almost two and a half hour long Japanese movie. So is it at all wise to compare or could you just simply state, well, this is, it's its, its own thing. Is it any good or not kind of thing? Um, well, I will say it's, it's definitely not nearly as bonkers as the John Woo version is. Uh, there's, it's definitely scaled back. You know, I guess the best way to describe it is uh, it's kind of imagine a Japanese version of The Fugitive. 
and it's really loosely connected. Um, I have no idea how the book is. I've, I've heard decent things about it, but it really is a star vehicle for Ken uh, Tagankora, and um, it's a fun, you know, 70s Japanese film. Uh, luckily, it's available on YouTube right now with fan subs, so it's it's out there if people want to go check it out. Um, but really, it's it's kind of a basic actioner, nothing too crazy, nothing too exciting. As a remake, um, I think it suffers from similar issues that the uh, the John Woo version does, which is it's a little too stretched out and a little too long. But for for a 70s Japanese movie, it's a lot of fun, and it has that really over-the-top la-la-la uh, theme song, which does show up in the, the new version. Um, but yeah, it's perfectly serviceable. Um, if you're a fan of um, of the actors involved, then I think it's worth checking out. But it's in in the large scale of things, it's nothing like the Kinji Fukusaku like Yakuza paper films. It's nothing that's really bold and stands out too too far. So in in a way, Tyler, I'm 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 glad we're reviewing Manhunt now after the hype has died down a little bit because it went through a cycle, meaning that. There was excitement that John Woo was doing anything with guns again. Yeah, <laughs> uh, the trailer looked kind of cool, so we, we were still excited. Uh, reviews started trickling in that weren't too kind. Uh, then people's sort of um, expectations, I think, not died down, but they they became more okay. We know it's not another masterpiece, so let's go into it without you know just watch it. No, don't attach any baggage to it uh, and uh, don't think about like oh John Woo has his best days behind him just just watch the movie judge it on his own merits uh, now that it's before us because during the process it also was bought by Netflix so now it's almost globally available to you so uh, I don't dislike that cycle Tyler that it went through that that the hype really died down and then at least for me I went into it well I sort of know that people didn't like it, and um, I'm just going to watch it. For me, it was no biggie if John Woo never returned to heroic bloodshed again. You know what I mean? Because John has paid his dues, right? Like oh, yeah. he, he's, uh, he, he can't like, tarnish his reputation by not doing or doing another movie of this kind. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And plus the fact that, I mean, if he stopped making movies right now, everyone would still talk about A Better Tomorrow. Everyone would still talk about... Better Tomorrow 2 and The Killer and Hard Boiled. So just from those four films, his his reputation is, you know, sealed in gold, in my opinion. And when I went into this film, I had a similar experience. I pretty much was like, you know, I've seen lesser John Woo films. And oddly enough, and I guess you can tell me if you felt the same way. Um, Manhunt, in a way, is almost like some of his lesser Hollywood films. Like it felt tonally like broken arrow or paycheck and it's trying stuff and it has a little bit of gunplay and it's kind of all over the place and over the top and it's filled with plot holes but you know at the end of the day it's a fun b movie so you know when you break it down yeah and i and i could i could feel i have notes on it later but i could feel there are stretches where there is a flow in terms of silly outrageous even Partly sci-fi in style uh, type of movie, and that's fine. But there, there, there was this issue of man, it's not connecting all the time, and I'm so, I so wish it would have because I'm, I'm easy to please, man. I mean, just uh, put any any dumb shit in front of me, and I'll, I, I, I can be on board and uh, be, uh, be a fan, uh, be a fan through and through. 
let's uh, we, we'll we'll jump all over the place, I suppose. But let, let's address something about the language of the film. I, I actually forgot to ask: Is Manhunt the original at all international in style with uh, characters from different countries, or the mixed language Japanese and Chinese characters is all the idea of this version of Manhunt? It's pretty much just this version. Um, unless I missed some like nuances with maybe a character who speaks Mandarin, uh, the whole film is set in Japan. Um, there is a couple Chinese characters, but um, it's mostly just in Japanese. Um, and there's not any hopping around between languages, at least from what I could tell. Yeah, uh, like not, no key element like, like we have here, obviously, a Japanese cop and a mainland Chinese character. And it's yeah. a curious choice that they, they, they try to um, make it logical, which is good. I mean, it's a fully mixed language movie, English, Japanese, Mandarin, Chinese. So so it's, it's all logical uh, rather than all English, uh, like... For instance, speaking of Netflix, like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon 2 was, where yes. they, where they, I suppose, I haven't seen it. I suppose they were producing it for maximum exposure in a way. Uh, put it on Netflix, it's going to be global. People like that original movie, but it was still a curious choice for a second movie after the first one was so accepted, subtitled, that is. So, uh, yeah, but, but, but the language part doesn't, um, wasn't due to Netflix, is, uh, is my opinion. We're going to have some notes on the language, whether or not they pulled it off. And uh, <laughs> speaking, of, speaking of rough, but uh, again, I'm, I'm going to state a little theme here. I don't blame any actors for this. Not at all. Do you think uh, John's gunplay has a place in 2017? Like, you know, because you you know how how it was made then. There was a physical factor to the way John yeah. and his action team produced gunplay back then. It was more grittier, and now we're in a more slick era. And these mainland Chinese productions are very much slick. Do, did you feel whenever he dipped into it that it had a place, or was it too too slick and too computer generated for you? Well, some of it was really distracting, especially seeing like the muzzle flash and kind of you can see where the bullets are going because there's like little laser beams of of bullets going places. Um, Well, to kind of answer the first part of that, um, his style, kind of like Sam Peckinpah's, has has been so ingrained in like the cinematic storytelling now that almost everyone uses John Woo-isms. You know, even to the fact of you'll watch a Michael Bay movie and there'll be slow motion doves going so you know someplace. If it's if it's done well, there's definitely a place for it, but it's definitely not unique anymore. I don't feel that any of the action scenes in this film really were you know like groundbreaking. Like, um, there's some YouTube channels that all they do is post you know gunfights from various Hong Kong films from the 80s and 90s. And you still watch those and you're just, you know, amazed by like how balls to the wall insane they were, um, especially even like really subtle moments like the whole climax of Better Tomorrow 2. You know, I think there is a place depending on how it's done, but it's it's so part of the culture now that I really think he would have to do something super crazy like, you know, have characters with zero gravity fighting in space or something or or if John Woo did a remake of Moonraker or something, you know, something really crazy. <laughs> you know, when the bursts happened, I was not displeased or anything because I think he still had the visual stylistic thinking down to a degree, but I wasn't fully 
enthralled or anything. Oh my god, it's back! Uh, but it was more okay than I expected because I just expe- expected that, just like you said, we've seen it so much, man. And it's hard to go back to this well and uh, and free us. Yeah. But, uh, you know, w- with the opening, with the uh, female assassins that we don't have the full context of in terms of who they are, it's decent enough. It comes out of nowhere after, they, after characters have had discussions about how much they like movies. So it's uh, almost a universe where the dialogue is stylized and the, this is how people talk to each other and but, but the movie never detours into pure reality it always keeps it a little bit goofy yeah. a little bit comic booky uh super sci-fi by the end so having this dialogue is um, no problem and you know those opening uh, uh that opening shootout coming rapidly out of nowhere it's coherent fairly bloody not overly cg blood in execution not a bad resurrection but the problem is as we'll discuss there are bursts of this and uh, and it's not really enough it's sort of okay you're sort of back that's cool maybe you want to build build on this or maybe you don't want to depending on how you feel personally as a creator you know what i mean <laughs> and 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 seeing as it hasn't been received very well who knows if john wants to even uh, make a movie like this anymore but uh, so so we 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 don't have clarity in terms of who these assassins are and that's you know i'm 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 not terribly frustrated because john is going to provide the uh, the context that we switch to the character that uh, the prosecutor that uh, Zhang Han Yu plays and uh, we, we get our first instances of uh, mixed language here and it sort of works for a while Tyler because uh, Zhang has uh, he's obviously a mainland Chinese lawyer in a Japanese firm so obviously he needs to speak uh, English with most people and there's decent calm delivery initially they don't saddle him with a lot of dialogue and uh, he looks, uh, I, I'm not familiar with the actor, but he looks uh, very handsome and charismatic. So there's a good leap of point here in terms of establishing your leading man. And they don't saddle him with other, uh, other uh, more than like, short bursts of English. So, And it would make sense that the language is a little bit stiff. So, Because I knew people had singled out like, oh my god, the English in this movie. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I was focusing on it a little bit more, and and s- that far into the movie, it was like logical. And um, they're mixing, well, they're speaking Mandarin now, and those people are speaking Japanese. That's cool, and it's an easy plot to um, uh, to understand. And uh, we're okay. It's gonna be long, but we're okay. So, we're okay so far, you know. Yeah, I was actually gonna ask you: um, Have you seen um, Hideki Anno's uh, Shin Godzilla? Have not no. Um, I'm. Uh, I haven't seen any of the new Millennium Godzillas. To be honest, not out of disinterest. I just haven't. To be honest, the, the latest one I saw is one of probably the last one from the nineties. To be honest, so I'm, I'm so far behind on my uh, on my Godzilla. But I've heard mixed things about Shin Godzilla as well. Yeah, because um, well, that film. Um, the reason I bring it up is it has a similar. Um, I guess to to be more international, it has a few characters who switch between Japanese and English. And it's a similar situation where it's in small bursts. And usually if it's longer than a few like sentences or a few bits of conversation, it starts to kind of peter off. But um, that was actually a case where I think Manhunt kind of improved upon because Shin Godzilla is very complicated um, almost to a comedical level where it's almost like Dr. Strangelove where there's just so much technical jargon. Oh, so they're giving them that as well. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean you, you really feel bad for, for actors and actually the actors in this one. They're, 
it's not like Manhunt was a project in the making where everyone went to English lessons and uh, coaches to get this right. It feels like one of those movies. Well, uh, we got this prep, we got this script, and we're casting you. You're going to do English, and it's going to be fine. We'll start shooting in a month. Cool, good. And here we are, we're shooting. Uh, you're going to speak English now. And it feels, it feels so rushed to, to saddle actors with um, larger bursts of dialogue they're clearly not comfortable with in terms of new ones. I wouldn't be able to do it better, obviously, but it's I, I can't criticize it fully other than from the production standpoint. So I, I, I in terms of um, uh, the makers, but uh, the players, you just feel a little bit bad when uh, when Zhang Henyu and uh, the Japanese actor who plays the cop, uh, Masahoro Fukuyama, when they do tough guy dialogue back and forth to each other. And unfortunately, it's going to produce howls and not in a good yes. way. And I, I did laugh, but I felt sorry for those guys. I, man. Same here. I, I tried so hard to, you know, accept it. Like if this was being said in Japanese or Mandarin, I would probably be like, ooh, rock on, you know, because... You know, it's an action movie, so there's going to be one-liners. But I think for the fact that they're either learning their languages phonetically or they're just really rusty with English, I mean, that's, you know, that's something they're not doing all the time. So um, just like you said, it's sort of not fair to criticize them for it other than, you know, they put a lot of this in the trailers and the promotional materials. So it, it didn't really paint a good image for the film when it was coming out, so... Clearly, it's it quite evident early, right, that this is kind of a B-movie plot-wise. He's not trying to make a statement. Uh, and even when he attempts backstory and characters, uh, well, ca- uh, characters shared backstories and that drama, I don't think John actually uh, bothered to. Like, he didn't ask us to take that seriously, despite crafting poetic imagery and dissolves and... Uh, you know, uh, different filters to the flashbacks. That stuff I could accept because I don't think John is like really taking that seriously, even though he's put, even though he's putting effort into the imagery. So that stuff went by me. Like the, the, he's done poetic stuff in movies before where we were asked to take it seriously, even though it's heavy-handed imagery, and we sort of did take it seriously. But I think Manhunt is the case for well. I'm gonna do stuff that's familiar. But uh, people are going to get that. Uh, I'm sort of in it for the fun without uh, doing a parody of myself. And uh, that mixture was okay, but not uh, thrilling to see him do his uh, dissolves and uh, poetic imagery and all of that. Because, I mean, this this could have really turned into, if he was phoning it in more or trying to do parody, you know, I could really see him, like, it's it's not like the film turns into keen a comedy with you know Stephen Chow where they have that the scene towards the beginning of the film where they're filming a gunfight in a church like it didn't go to that <laughs> level of of bad and then oh Colin Jackie Chan you know you, you you're gonna make me think of keen comedy so much because I love <laughs> I love when Stephen who's an extra in the scene stands up after they've done this hugely technical shot. <laughs> <laughs> I have I have opinions about my character, Mister Director. Cut! <laughs> oh, imagine how often John Woo had to put up with that in some of his earlier films. That would have been interesting. But do you think um, you know seeing the, the John like pull out the stop, so to say, he's bringing his action, he's bringing bringing his visual trickery, and he's 
arguably rehashing imagery, whether doves or the slow motion or the action, which is obviously the, the key element. How was that seeing him bring some of that stuff back? Because reviews have pointed that out. And I want to say reviews, I think, have been a little bit unfair in terms of the imagery that John repeats. Uh, but uh, what did you think of that? Because clearly you recognize that, well, that's a beat from the past. That's a beat from the past. That's a beat from the past as well. Um, I think, well, I mean, there's definitely a few set pieces from the killer. I mean, there's the, you know, the boat chase, well, almost a boat chase. And there's a jet skis. And then there's a shootout in a like a ranch style house, which is very much like the killer. But really, I was just excited to see more gunfights and more of the John Woo that I've known and love and made me such a big fan of Hong Kong cinema um, to begin with. Did it spike uh, your interest there for seeing he, him play out that in front of us? Like, I'm, I'm bringing it back, but I'm trying to do something new at the same time. I, I mean, yeah, I was definitely, definitely going for it. And it makes me excited for the fact that, you know, he might be doing something like this in the future, whether it be a remake of The Killer or or anything else. You know, it made me excited to watch a John Woo film again. Yeah, I kind of agree because they didn't bother me. Like he's even like I'm. I'm. I'm gonna come off as the stupidest reviewer in the world, but I'm gonna put this on the record. John's use of doves in this movie, clever. Yeah, yeah, I I thought it was funny because we all of a sudden. I'm I'm not gonna spoil it actually. All of a sudden, oh yeah, that's how he gets gets the doves into into it all. But he <laughs> uses them in a way where a. Uh, fight or struggle between two characters they um the the dove going through the frame means one character now has an advantage all of a sudden and i've never seen john do that and i thought that was clever and throughout the movie those narrative and visual cues from the past they were more mild rather than restaged you know what i mean yeah and i like that balance quite a bit actually um because i i i just had in the back of my mind reviews i've really singled out that oh john was great hits everything's the same yeah no, i didn't think all was the same i recognized it but it wasn't all the same <laughs> well i don't think there was a character in this film like named ken who's like throwing hand grenades at people like uh, you know it wasn't like remember my twin brother mark like, no <laughs> like, john 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 you did this already no what Where, what happens or you have you know you have uh troy hark you know being a, some sort of you know music critic or teacher like from the first better tomorrow oh, who just I gets his glasses love that because i love when troy hark acts i always yes. love that <laughs> and that is and it's something that's been catching on but but you know i'm glad that you mentioned the set piece with the doves because and not only was it clever but it seems like he kind of probably knew that his fans are going to be like, well, hey, where are the doves? So he actually did something with it other than just sort of slap it on the screen. Exactly. I, I, I like that very much. You, you can see that in some of his Hollywood movies that he was all, it seems like he was almost asked to put it in and sort of yeah. ha- in a half-hearted way. Just like um, Hard Target. Yes, exactly. Well, well I, I sort of, I, I like Hard Target that is like a 15% remake of Hard Boiled, like unashamed. <laughs> and But if you do it well, then, then it's all cool, man. If you do stuff from the year before, because it wasn't 10 years earlier. <laughs> yeah. It's like, like literally his last movie. And, uh, you know, even the, there's hints of the Dragon Boat Festival assassination from the killer is here, but it isn't the same. There's just some, it, it's even partly subtle in a way. So he's trying to catch 
new viewers with narrative techniques and stylish tricks he's done before but there's no full remake of um, of set pieces here they're set at certain similarly similar locations as you pointed out uh, yeah and, and and i thought that balance was okay very much okay but um there, there's a lot of stuff that simply you know i think i sum it up as it uh, up as well this bursts here and maybe a tighter movie would have made me feel a little bit differently towards the fact that uh there's merely bursts here i'm glad johnny's back but uh i'm not sure uh you know everyone is uber pleased with how it turned out uh, uh, but but you know speaking of by the way of the jet skis chase i think that's the better sequence in terms of pace and how john crafts his extensively stylized shots i, I thought that was pretty good actually it's uh, it felt a little bit new as well uh but 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 yeah as the movie runs through its backstory of you know cop versus suspect uh, the backstory connected to the drug company that's all fine when i think about it and not when i talk about it but uh, i don't know about you tyler but i i felt uh, it really didn't connect to me in terms of a tight entertaining film because um, the yeah. elements are there the plot elements are so simple and there where you could just sort of sit back at well it's it's at least over in 90 minutes it's that i wanted that kind of movie unfortunately it's a 110 minute movie <laughs> it's definitely stretching it to fit a a bolder runtime and and that's my big criticism of the film too is just it it's too middle of the road for me to be upset but it, i am still at the end of the day a little disappointed with it especially since you know it's his return to heroic you know bloodshed and it's supposed to be a tribute to you know one of his favorite you know japanese actors of all time with uh ten you know takarona so i you know at the end of the day that's i guess that's my big thing is just i almost wish it was just cut down a little bit because the first half of the film is really not not rushed but it's very quick you know um, as soon as he's on the run he bumps into the cop and we're introduced to the cop you know and even that even that should have been a little bit more fun i think because yes it's a classic good guy versus bad guy but they'll come to an understanding and but that relationship i thought was sort of like well it, it's there the actors yeah. look comfortable enough as actors and you know they're they're professionals but in terms of seeing two cool cool characters square off on screen i didn't really get anything from that to be honest they, they were there they were part of that plot and they're, they're in sequences that are good but you know the house shootout for instance it's they're there they're taking part of that action and it's genuinely satisfying how for instance that sequence mixes guns and swords and there's smooth movements and the ladies get to take part uh, in that and throughout the movie and you, you you forget some of the bad when sequences are good. You adjust to the basic stylish spectacle of 2017 that rehashes a, a few things. So at points I thought John was in really fine form in the actual shootouts. But uh, for me, I merely forgot about some of the cringy, underwhelming B stuff in between for a while, right? Uh, yeah. There's, there's too little there. Like I watched... Uh, the foreigner just uh, a few days before not they're not related but i was just reminded of the fact that that's a tight movie right the foreigner is not demanding but it keeps you focused and it's entertaining and fairly exciting and this one it's that sort of thing where 
the if you see it as a sound wave thing, it goes up and down, up and down, up and down, yes. rather than, but not spiking constantly where you go, yeah, all right. And, and, and by the time you reach the end, which I won't spoil, I thought, well, it's sort of cool that it's a it's a, it's a sci-fi thing, but by that point, <laughs> Tyler, I wasn't into the crescendo of the finale, and you're supposed to be. And I, I tuned out because now John is going for it, and uh, I've seen good sequences in the movie, but I wasn't that interested by the end, to be honest. That's definitely, you know, kind of a similar reaction I had. You know, I... I ended up enjoying what happened by the end but you know i'm gonna be kind of optimistic and hope that he still has it i don't think this is a case where he's just phoning it in and hopefully when he does his next project whether whatever it might be um i hope he brings the same kind of energy and actually learns i guess some different things and you know because there's there's no telling what behind the scenes problems there might have been, whether it be just the script or maybe there was issues with actors or something. But, you know, the finished product is pretty underwhelming. Do you think personally that uh, he argues well enough that uh, I'm making a B-movie so sci-fi thoroughly applies? Like, uh, do you think he argues well that, uh, yeah, this fits? To me personally, it's not that convincing because I've seen him do sci-fi before with, like, Paycheck and... uh you know, that's why I kind of wanted to mention the two back to back is they're, they're very similar and there's good sequences, but the the overall finished product is not there. You know, and actually one thing I wanted to mention was since you brought up the foreigner, that's a similar case where if Manhunt had two central performances like Jackie Chan and uh, Pierce Brosnan in the foreigner, I think that might have taken away from some of the negative and made it more watchable. Because The Foreigner, uh, not to do a whole review, but, you know, it's very well paced. Um, Even when it starts to, you know, get sidetracked with like subplots, it doesn't stay in those too long. And, you know, it's a damn good performance from, you know, Jackie doing some very subtle humanistic things. Um, And then I really I'm not sure uh, what you thought about Pierce Brosnan, but I thought he made a really convincing probably one of his best performances in years it was very uh northern irish we haven't heard that uh, ever <laughs> yeah I, I liked it uh, and uh, you realize also that politics play a part of that but it's not a demanding movie and oh yeah and but but everyone understood that and uh, then they crafted a tight tight movie based on that so I, I i was quite pleased with the foreigner in that regard for as a jackie chan fan and a fan of generally you know entertaining fast-paced movies uh, and and i i sort of agree i mean john is he he's returned to this genre. Is it a grand uh, return? No, but it's a return, and uh, there's flashes here, and maybe something else can be done with this if John wants to pursue it again. If he doesn't, then that's fine too. But uh, it doesn't land as it should, and I was hoping it would because that little bit spoiler, but that super ser- super sol- soldier serum reveal is just sort of out of that bad <laughs> batshit crazy cinema, and I I just wished I liked that more because it's sort yeah. of up my alley, like. Look at the idea we have in store for you, viewer. We're going to do this now. <laughs> it almost works because the best performer in the movie, and I wasn't surprised that I thought this way, is uh, the uh, free-scene role from veteran uh, Yasuaki Kurata. And when he goes apeshit towards the end of the movie, yes, that was delightful. 
I because he's a genuinely good actor. He's had a, he's had a bit of an acting resurgence recently. Uh, God of War was the movie I really liked. Uh, Yasuaki Kurata, in. and to see him go, see uh, it, it's a decent enough period martial arts movie, and he gets to act in uh, act in um, Japanese in that one. So, uh, um, but I, I just like when he gets to go uh, crazy here. Uh, but I expected that because he's a good veteran, and they don't give him English, thankfully. So. He just he just sticks to the to the language he's comfortable with. Exactly. I'm at the end of my notes. I just wanted to say that that uh, you know you you need to some you need to deliver somewhat of a whole product, and John and the production didn't. So that's my problem. But uh, no hate here. Just hope. There's hope for the future. I mean, you know, when I look back at the film, you know, there's definitely the standout action scenes that kind of make me excited, and you know, and. Sp- I actually rewatching it for the show. Um, I was really taken back by, you know, mentioning the, the, the superhuman serum that you just uh, brought up. But also I, I liked the dynamic between the two female assassins, even if it seemed, uh, it seemed like it was shooed in like in a weird area. Um, and not to go on a tangent, but do they ever actually, I'm not sure how the subtitles were for your version, but on the Netflix one here, they just said a classic movie on DVD and the main character just happens to have a DVD of his favorite film in his car. And that's a plot point. Like, I don't know what. Yeah, they didn't, they didn't say, say the title of the movie. It was very uh, uh, was ambiguous. Uh, uh, it's a strange sort of in in terms of connecting characters deeply because of their love for movies. Like, OK, John, that was kind of dumb, but all right, go with it. Uh, thrill me. But he sort of didn't. <laughs> uh, but but uh, it's 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 funny. Um, the 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 Korean actress uh, Haji Haji Won is apparently as big as you can come. Uh, you know, currently in Korea, you won't feel it here. But it's sort of cool that John does um, a pair of female action heroes, and I can't for the life of me think of many instances where John focused that much on female gun-toting double double gun. Uh, heroes you know what i mean um even when there is like i guess characters of action in his films that happen to be female whether it be like gina kurjan and um and face off um they really don't participate too much in the action so it was really cool getting to see you know both of these actresses get a little more to do but you're right it's sort of like the, it, now that you say it, their plot was sort of well do they truly fit? I mean, the movie seemed simple. Do we have to add them as well? Well, they're sort of cool, but it's um, it it seems a bit packed without being totally incoherent. But it seems a bit packed uh, indeed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hey, hey, for listeners who, who do not know uh, the the other female assassin, uh, you had a little trivia note that I didn't know know of. So you you have Haji One as Rain and Angela's Wu as Dawn. So what's the connection? Uh, from Wu to Wu, if you will. Yeah, so, well, I mean, it is uh, John Wu's daughter in the film, and she actually, oddly enough, gets most of the action set pieces. Um, and I think out of everyone who's kind of given the task of, you know, doing lots of dialogue in English, um, you know, whether it be her growing up some in the States, I don't know, but it seemed like she handled her English dialogue probably the best out of everyone in the cast. So, uh, but it was really cool seeing, uh, I guess, John Woo passing down the torch to his daughter, even though she's kind of barely in the film. But I thought she was a lot of fun. So, yeah, I didn't know that. I didn't, even when I saw the name, I didn't think twice about hmm, 
connection. But uh, that was all cool. I wanted to mention, I looked up this fact and maybe this explains things um, so this is straight from wikipedia uh, the mainland china distributor fought the version shown at the venice film festival of manhunt uh, was a huge mess and unwatchable so the film got a complete recut from original source materials when shown in mainland china so i guess that's early in the timeline and i you know i don't know what you think but should we presume that what we get here on netflix is the recut well this is the first time i've heard of that so um you know i it probably could be. I haven't seen. I'm not even sure if since it's on Netflix if it will even get a um, a U.S. release. I'm not sure about in Europe. I know there's a Blu-ray in in China for Manhunt. Do you know if there's like both versions or is it not really? Uh, no, I did not uh, because I, I I didn't know it was on uh, disc already. Uh, well, it it takes time sometimes, so you don't know uh, the timeline between uh, cinema uh, or and disc. But uh, it's a uh, it's a little indicator that. Uh, um, the editing wasn't smooth as such and i know john has had problems with the edits of movies uh recently uh, the, the crossing part one was i think was released to underwhelming reviews and i heard that for part two they were gonna bring in choi hark to re-edit the movie and this is where you need to educate me viewers was the crossing part two ever released or is it one of those cases where we couldn't get it done it's still bad <laughs> yeah you know i mean it's um i mean i know it's like available i'm not sure if it ever hit cinemas um so but it's one of those cases i don't know if we'll ever get a, a u.s release of it just like the um the from vegas to macau films i'm surprised those haven't reached here yet well you don't need those <laughs> I couldn't resist dropping in that franchise at least once. <laughs> one part one was enough for me. Then, uh, then I was out, and uh, and after part three, that was enough for audiences apparently. So, <laughs> yeah, I haven't heard anything about a part four yet. No, thankfully not. But uh, but yeah, I'll um, that, that's the end of my notes, buddy. Anything else you want to share? Um, no, that's really about it. Um, you know, it's I'm glad that it has such a wide release and this isn't um, a case where it's a Hong Kong film or a, a, a Chinese film that's kind of lost in the ether, kind of like what I mentioned when the From Vegas to Macau films. You know, I know there's also a new Better Tomorrow that just came out. Um, I'm not sure the title. Is it is it just Better Tomorrow or did they have another title for uh, it? Either that or uh, Better Tomorrow, whatever year it was made in, 2017 or 2018. Okay. Because there's no clear signs of that being released. So for for someone on a limited income who can't import all the discs from uh, from Yes Asia, you know it's it's really cool that we got it, and I hope that other films get picked up for distribution for, through Netflix. Because I think you know while this one might be a misfire, or you know you could say John Woo shooting blanks trying to get your quotes on in print media my friend <laughs> yes i gotta i gotta throw them that was one of the ones i didn't use so i have to put it in here but no um but you know i'm just i'm happy the film's here and honestly anything from john woo is going to catch my attention regardless of how lopsided it might be at the end of the day but that's all the notes i have on my end as well 
And and as for availability, if not globally, then it's now available on most common Netflix regions uh, for streaming. Yeah, because at, at one point in the process, they picked up the movie. They didn't uh, make it, but they picked up the movie. So therefore, it's touted as a Netflix movie. So it's available in regions uh, such as America, Sweden, Canada and the United Kingdom. So indeed, you can pick it up and judge for yourself. So uh, that was a little surprise uh, that Netflix... Uh, all of a sudden had gone and purchased it and put it up there so because if if anything i mean speaking of american distribution if it would get anywhere with anyone it would be well go and that stuff usually ends up on u.s netflix but that's u.s netflix so here was a a case for them picking up a movie and then bringing it to most of the world which is um which is cool so um because you because you are lucky over there in terms of streaming like whatever Welgo picks up it seems like it ends up on streaming whether a mainland chinese movie or a korean movie and things like that so and the turnaround is um you know since i since i review uh blu-rays as well um one thing i've noticed with Welgo is you know even when they review some uh, even when they uh, release something pardon me um, it's usually a quick turnaround before it gets like cut down to like budget prices. Like the other day I found train to Busan for $5 at a local, at a local store. So it, yes, it's DVD, but I'm not a perfectionist when it comes to DVD or Blu-ray as long as it's not, you know, unwatchable. I'm usually okay. You know, I've, I'm sure you've dealt with many VCDs and I've dealt with many VCDs. So anything that's watchable is good to me. <laughs> Sometimes the only way to watch these uh, sleazy movies, the, just the perfect format is VCD, because uh, uh, a, a low-budget, flat, sleazy movie just fits that format really well. The, the, the pixelation of the, uh, of the female body parts, like, uh, it's, like it's, uh, keep it stable, keep it stable, like ch- cheap, it stable. cheap uh, MPEG format. <laughs> yes, I was going to say, well, as long as they have Charlie Cho, like, in at least some form of visibility, we're, we're doing something right. <laughs> Automatic free stars, and then it's a victory lap after that, you know. <laughs> At any rate, we're going to take a promotional break, listen to a promo from one of our friends in the podcasting community, and after that, we're going to discuss a John Woo movie from 1989, uh, when a couple of friends got together to help another friend, as I alluded to, and that movie is just Heroes from that uh, year, and uh, we'll be right back after that promo break to discuss this benefit movie. So that's your little tease for now, and uh, we'll be right back. Westerns, comedies, foreign films, horror movies, action-adventure, and classic cinema. Well, we don't have much of that, but if you like ass, titties, farting, burping, puffy nipples, poop, taboo porn, muffin tops, comic books, wrestling, mustaches, pies smashed on butts, cheese, taking baths, butt sex, gagging, milk, and the American flag, check out the Silva and Gold podcast. We're the morons your mom warned you about while she was sitting on silver and gold we talk about movies and shit find us on itunes or silverandgold.com and welcome back listeners and uh, we're gonna conclude this episode with the review of just heroes from 1989 and plot from the back of well both the vhs and the laser disc the uk one goes as follows i thought it was um 
uh, applicable and uh, proper. So when respected gang boss Zhao is gunned down in an ambush, there are three prospective heirs to his crown. Why? Played by David Chang, who just had his birthday. I think he's like uh, 71 or 72 years old, David Chang. Still looking good. Uh, A.K.A. John Chang. So he's the first prospective heir to the crown. He has left the triad life to run a fishing business. Sao, played by Danny Lee, is a quiet and reserved character. And the third prospective heir is the ambitious Tai, played by Chen Quan Tai. According to Aswil, the gangster boss wanted Y to take his place. But when Y refuses the duty, it is passed to the reluctant Sao. Ty's right-hand man, the uh, baby-faced Jackie, played by Stephen Chow. Yes, that's Stephen Chow. You know, Roald, that's not funny. At all. He feels his boss has been cheated, and when Y uncovers evidence that Sal was the traitor responsible for their boss's death, Jackie resolves to get his revenge. So yes, double cr- double crosses and crap like that. And I say crap lovingly because I like this movie as a lightweight and in-between sort of sandwiched uh, in-between Woo movies as this feels. You know, it's not an individual John Woo movie. You can feel the motivation that they, they wanted to make a basic gangster picture but with signature elements of the day in 1989 and to make them as close as to elite as uh, as they could come and therefore... You know, the heroic bloodshed of it all gets the job done, and more so for benefits' sake. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll explain where the benefit and the charity angle comes from. So it's an easy, fun watch with actor spotting galore, if you're a fan of uh, many of the um, character actors of the period. Uh, many of them are here, and it's got some killer action. So so yeah, they didn't go lazy on us, uh, Tyler is my point. Uh, they put in effort for... The, and the motivation was the benefit of it all, the charity of it all. So that's my short opinion. What do you think of Just Heroes? I guess the shortest of the short. I love it. It was a, a movie in John Woo's career that I kind of discovered towards, I guess, more recently. Um, it was one that was like, oh, wow, a, a, a lost heroic bloodshed movie that's not available on DVD and is really like, not that easy to get a hold of. And I was really surprised, you know, usually if it's something that's kind of obscured like that, there's kind of a reason for it, you know? Well, we, we, with Hong Kong cinema, sometimes it shouldn't be obscure because it's really good, but their treatment on home video and extending yes. its home video life, that's a different story that uh, even gems aren't extended on home video after Laserdisc or even after its first DVD uh, right, so um, you never know. Uh, there, there's so many key Hong Kong movies, action or otherwise, just gone because they didn't bother to upgrade them. Rights got passed to to limbo, and there we are. So, uh, yeah, so there's that part of the of the uh, Hong Kong cinema history too. Uh, you know, the bad part of it is that we can't get the good ones. Not all of them. Yeah, and and well, and the fact that there was just so many good ones that were being you know made, but. You know, and that was kind of like what was really exciting about it was the fact that it was kind of an obscure John Woo actioner that came out during his, you know, his heyday, so to speak. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's it doesn't feel like a charity movie or a benefit movie at all. It feels like a legitimate, you know, gangster actioner. And honestly, um, while it does feel like maybe like lesser John Woo, it doesn't feel like a compromised production at all. Nothing feels phoned in or cheap, um, you know, and in a weird way, it's it's a really compatible film to Manhunt just because, you know, it is a lesser actioner 
Um, but this one is like full tilt. You, you, you sort of, uh, the reason I say lightweight and in between is that it was sort of quickly conceived and you can see that it was made for a slightly different purpose. But in the end, they didn't um, do a half-hearted job or anything. That's the, oh, yeah. that's the reassuring thing, even though it's not as affecting as other John Woo movies. But it sure is fun. It sure is fun. John wasn't fully responsible for this. This is co-directed by uh, one of the actors in the movie and also an accomplished filmmaker, Wu Ma, the late Wu Ma. It said that John did about 60% of the film. So that suggests that they were not working side by side all the time and maybe uh, shooting different units as well to get this done. There's a lot of stuff to be done, a lot of uh, action to be done by John and his action team. But you can certainly see what sequences are trademarked John, whether action or drama in between. You know, again, the stuff we see in Manhunt, we actually see here with you know slow motion montages and dissolves and uh, music on top of that you know trying to make his uh, poetic imagery even uh, but here here we uh, deal with a, a cheaper movie and uh, from a different era too so it's made ever so slightly uh, differently uh, Wu Mai is a famous actor a popular actor and uh, as well as underrated director and uh, he he's passed now but he, he left quite a good uh, legacy as um, as both a serious and comedic actor and also an underrated director and this was reportedly made as a charity film for legendary director Chang Chie, who had employed so many of the actors coming and going in the film, as well as working close with John and Wu Ma during his uh, productions at Shaw Brothers, because both of them were assistant directors to Chang Chie during a period in their life. And I think Wu Ma even got co-directing credits every now and again on movies, uh, but you can see them in the credits as assistant directors and things like that. So... Uh, that's why everyone came back and gladly appeared in small roles and big roles for their old mentor out of respect and uh, why wouldn't you because um oh yeah you uh it, it still it's not that it wasn't that long ago you know it was the decade before that most of this uh, was being done and um all of that uh, it was also initially according to research set up as a benefit movie for the for the director's union but it sort of switched to a benefit movie for for the old master that was planning to uh, retire the thing is it didn't blow up at the box office it didn't make that much money uh, but the production did arrange for the profits to be given to chang chia so he could now now retire but you can't keep a veteran creator down no <laughs> and he, he actually used the funds to finance another film and uh, we had about four three or four more movies from chang chia before his last movie in 1993 and that was ninja in ancient china also all-round creators despite being the lead actors in the movie it said uh, that stars Danny Lee and David Chang heard of Chang Chia's financial situation and helped de- develop the story that turned into this one and it also will have these notes but it also turned into a movie that <laughs> it's so amusing and it should be a killer for the movie but it isn't it turned into a movie where they recognize that a better tomorrow exists as a movie yes. in this universe and that it had an effect on the youth of Hong Kong which it did Tyler it did that movie was so iconic that people wanted to be shy of that they oh, wore yeah. long coats in the humid weather in Hong Kong to try and look like Mark and suffering for it in the humid weather of Hong Kong. So this is a movie that addresses Chewing that. Chewing on those matchsticks. I'm sure designer sunglasses were the, the hottest import, you know, getting those really nice uh, sunglasses. So so yeah, it's uh, it sounds like the sort of kiss of death for the movie to uh, 
to bring this up and I think we'll address whether it is the kiss of death for the movie to have this element in there so just spontaneous uh, question because I don't know how much Hong Kong cinema you you watch but uh, were you doing uh, much actor spotting aside from the main actors or uh, what, uh, did any bells go off like recognize that guy and that guy that guy and that guy too um, well, I mean, the, the two biggest ones was, well, it's not a cameo, but like seeing Stephen Chow, like in the movie was like, really like, kind of took me aback with his tongue inside his mouth all the time. Yeah, I there was no there was no um, transgendered prostitutes. There was no naked children. Picking there, his was, nose. <laughs> there was no picking noses. There was there was no um, female characters who only find love by getting a, comp- a complete makeover, like in many of his great comedies. But uh, but yeah, Stephen Chow was the big one for me, um, and also T. Lone brief role at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, and then as I was looking like watching the movie again, I was like, oh look, there's like Loli, like he's in the film. Like okay, he's easy to miss. He's one of those many of many people are easy to miss. But uh, you, oh, yeah. you have Ku Feng here constant Shaw Brothers villain in many of Chang Chia's movies as well uh, Ku Feng uh, he's uh, at the beginning as well uh, in you know essentially in the same scene as uh, Tilong during the opera performance and the, the outside scene and all of that so uh, uh, you see Yu Hua at the beginning of the movie he was the uh, uh, drunken uh, beggar in Come Drink With Me and many 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 Shaw Brothers movies so you, it's fun but it isn't uh, it isn't stopping the movie from doing its thing it's it's not like they do those classic uh, shots like Shaw Brothers often did to introduce actors they get a close-up they, they walk into frame hi <laughs> and they get there and they get their credit on screen but this movie doesn't stop like what do you think Lolit over there well I don't think that's a good thing I agree next cameo <laughs> <laughs> next cameo or you know we mentioned or I, I brought up you know uh, Kena comedy in the first segment but like there's not it's nothing like the Jackie Chan cameo in that movie, like where it just kind of really stops the movie dead in the water. Like, wait a minute. Well, well, it helps that it's uh, contextually funny because oh, yeah. uh, they need a better extra. So they bring in someone who can, <laughs> can die properly on camera. <laughs> Did you ever see, by the way, the, um, the uh, Stevens cameo in Jackie's movie as the, the same year? Because Steven had a cameo in Gorgeous as a favor. No, I did not. He plays a, a police officer that gets... Uh, it's not in the US version of the movie. They cut that out. Okay. Uh, but uh, he plays a police officer that gets dragged away by his uh, service dog. Uh, a, a German <laughs> Shepherd drags Stephen Chow away. He's, uh, he's, he's like obviously a dummy at that point, so he gets dragged away. So it's a comedy comedy cameo. Yeah, I've I've seen Gorgeous. I just don't remember that. Maybe I do have the US cut. Um because I've seen it a few times. Because I know... it's too stupid for the movie to have him. Yeah. <laughs> but the the point is also all of the, despite all of these cameos, and it seems like a production. Well, well, just get everyone in. We'll choose some action and all of that, and uh, people will uh, come in droves because uh, this is the flavor of the of the decade. And John is big. It's so it seems like a rough assembly of gangster movie tropes and characters, but in the end, you could argue that it is, but it doesn't come off as. Uh, as a movie they did with 50% gas in the tank or anything. Yes, the the drama, the gangster drama is recognizable. The actual drama is not very, you know, the melodrama of it all. It doesn't get to you like other John Woo movies did. But this is so good because um, 
it's recognizable, it's instant, and it's uh, you admire the purpose they made it towards. Uh, so all makers, including John, put forth their best, and they could tap into the technical execution of the day. Because Tyler, this is what among the things they did well and often in the eighties. So I, I always think that they they can almost um, you know do this off the cuff, but it never really comes off as uh, uh, yeah, just. Do some stuff like we do, and that'll be good. Cut, move, print, moving on. It it really feels skillful all the way through, especially technically. Or, or what do you think? And and you know, and at the end of the day, I find it, you know, when I was thinking about like and what to put in my notes to describe the movie, one thing I wrote down was I found it interesting that for someone who's so well known for his action films and being, you know, kind of the champion of brotherhood, you know, not only John Woo, but Chun Che, you know, all his films, whether it be the Venoms or, you know, all men are brothers or, you know, different films like that, where it's all about friendship and brotherhood and the bonds between men, that it would be a film made to, you know, help him out of a tight financial situation using that same kind of energy. You know, not only does it happen in front of the camera, but everything going on behind the scenes, you know, and there is something here that's very comforting, you know, from the get-go because uh, John and crew aren't thinking that uh, we should save the action for later in the movie. No, let's start right away and do do what we can uh, do so well. And even if this is sort of John mild to a minor degree, it's still pretty damn cool still to see how he uses slow motion how loud the sound design is in terms of the, uh, the gun effects and uh, it's a golden era i never get tired of these performers even the slightly elder one are still in their prime and maybe it's rose tinted glasses because this is what i grew up on this is how i discovered hong kong cinema but john obviously elevated all of this to a balletic art and still shows it in this movie uh, oh yeah the loudness the big scripts the dirty violence i mentioned balletic it sounds very pretty but it's dirty violence it really is and Mm -hmm. he also has cool and confident heroes that can even afford to smile as they head into battle and uh you know as danny lee enters on his motorbike in the first scene and everything's great (laughs) oh yeah and and just you know being able to bring those performances out of everyone you know uh one thing i was going to mention now that you've mentioned the the action is you know with it being a kind of a benefit movie there's nothing like half-assed in the action set pieces either i mean i honestly think that some of the gunfights in this film are some of Wu's best action set pieces period yeah especially the ending i think is something that gets forgotten due to the fact that this movie is not thoroughly available uh, I, I think the ending in particular is uh, is something else it's not as long as a better tomorrow 2 or anything but uh it's really something else so no sequence really feel uh, half-assed or anything and uh, I, I'm, I'm in two minds in terms of the theme of the movie but i think he kind of gets away with, with it because on one hand there's an intelligence here tyler they talk about the cycle of violence and the cycle of killing and mm-hmm. but the thing is they talk about that they don't hint at it and you would think that heavy-handed introspection and something that's there for um overstated but i think somewhere in there the cycle of violence in the case of this movie and uh, 
you know, the cycle of revenge and wanting to break away from it, like David Chang's character actually did, and some characters wishes they can do. I think even within this movie that sort of aimed to be audience-pleasing, there's an intelligence here that I appreciate. It's not affecting in terms of, oh my god, I feel for Danny Lee that he wants to get out. But I think it's kind of, it's intelligent enough where, again, I couldn't do it any better, but it's not a uh, sloppy element either, this intelligence about, uh, well, in this world, we no one wins really. And and they still have fun with it. I mean, if this would have been, you know, because it's John Woo and he can kind of juggle that many balls in the air, I can't really imagine, you know, I know that Woo Ma co-directed it, but other than the two of them, I can't really think of any other director standing behind the camera because if it would have been like Troy Hark, it might have been more flamboyant. It would have been fucking nuts if it was Troy yeah. Hark because Troy... I, I, I steal that quote from Jonathan Ross, by the way, but I think it's, I still think it's true. Like Choi, it's true yeah, because he said at one point, Choi Hawk is fucking nuts. Even when he's like doing like, I guess, more low key films, there's still like crazy, like what in the world is going on elements. Um, or if, you know, or if the movie would have been directed by like Ringo Lamb, for example, like it would have been darker and grittier and there's just it's it's playful and serious when it needs to be but it doesn't take itself too seriously which i think is what's really great about it. it's really balanced yeah for, and, and also in terms of the serious nature of it, it they, they attempt character depth but it's more on the surface and uh, you know it's there for instance you know the relationship that danny lee has with his wife played by the beautiful chen new i think was married to alex Mann at one point if not at this point, that depth is more, well, it's it's there on the surface and I appreciate it and I like that she's in it. But it more, it's more basic tropes that is more than possible for a signature Hong Kong action movie. John has put forth more depth and more heroin depth, of course, but I, I think it's more than passable. And especially because of the things that they say and the tone they establish it manages to be intelligent enough anyway that I, uh, the way I just described the whole thing about uh, the cycle of violence and uh, that, that, we all lo- that we all lose in the end, that uh, this is no fun. And that brings me to a question. The, the youth in this movie represented by the little uh, kid, not little kid, he's a teenager, working for uh, David Chang's character. I'm going to stop right there because I do want to get the actor's name uh, right. Is it the same actor from Ricky O, or am I thinking of someone else? No, uh, it, it, it is someone else. It is, it is not uh, Fancy Wong. Uh, okay, because he was in um, he was in Writing Rons, and he was like really like scrawny. Yep. And Writing <laughs> Rons. So so just seeing him go from that to Ricky O, it's like good God. The uh, the, the actor core is called uh, Nai uh, Jan. He's been in five movies, so he's not a prolific actor. His uh, character, aside from being the kid who works for David Chang, he is enamored with uh, A Better Tomorrow. He loves A Better Tomorrow. How do you think Wu and Wu Ma handle the notion of addressing the fact that A Better Tomorrow exists and how it affects Hong Kong youth? Uh, Because clearly, the adults, they don't care for the the idol infatuation that you youths have with gangsters so what do you think of this because it's a risky element to put in this movie i feel like it's it's done in such a not subtle but it's it's not really dragged out like it's not a running joke in the movie like uh 
it, it didn't personally bother me too much. Um, I think that, you know, the message is kind of there and, um, you know, I, I just more took it as a one-off joke. So when he's like planting all the, the handguns and all the flower pots and it's subtle enough for me where I don't really, I didn't really put too much thought into it, you know, and it, it kind of makes me wonder, do you think that was more John Woo's doing or that might be something more that Wu Ma would do? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question, actually. Who I really uh, who don't was know. Behind that there. And I, I kind of like it, even though it's it seems so obvious and uh, in a way so clumsy to be to state it so clearly but uh, th- there is a point to it because uh, he places this in a violent world right uh, 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 you know when the better tomorrow came out it wasn't like it was a documentary necessarily i'm sure gangster violence existed but it wasn't a 100% true documentary and everybody was super scared because they depicted it depicted reality now we we want to escape reality and now he's making reality you know it, it's still it was still entertainment that affected the youth and moviegoers and here they talk of the fact that well this movie exists and a violent world also exists and uh, that's nothing to idolize at all and uh, that's enough of a good point where I, I, I give this movie a, a pause, despite this being a slight comedic uh, e- inclusion. But I, I kind of dug it that uh, the adults sort of just just work, <laughs> just p- pursue actual work and don't idolize things that uh, are not, uh, they're, they're not that pretty. And uh, obviously that character is going to experience hands-on that it isn't pretty. It's a fun thing. As you say, they don't uh, run with it. He's not a main character. He, uh, he he talks of these things like in two or three scenes and then in the finale he gets to experience it um, firsthand. Did you ever see, um, I think it's Badges of Fury with Jet Li that came out a few years ago? It's it's kind of a comedic film. I uh, I didn't. Uh, I, I heard of it. I heard it was, you know, average or so-and-so, but then again, I don't know. Oh, yeah. In the film, there's um, there's actually a set piece where... They're interrogating a suspect and uh, spoilers, and um, they actually mention, um, but uh, they actually mention police story, and they actually mention like Jackie Chan's character, and it's like a running gag throughout the interrogation. Like, well, hey, this could be like police story, and they start like humming the theme song to the movie, you know. And that I found that funny, just because that movie is like a full-on comedy. But if this, I feel like if here in Just Heroes, if they had that kid like dwell on it anymore i probably would have been checked out like if he would have started quoting it like oh these grenades are something else or you know if they really started quoting from the movie i probably would have found it insufferable but as is it was it was great yeah it's good that they kept it to the volume that they did i very much agree mild spoiler but i'm gonna say it anyway i've never ever seen stephen chow run over pregnant ladies Yeah, that does happen, doesn't it? <laughs> That's what he does, and not in an ironic way either. His character is uh, mopey and filled with uh, rage, and uh, he's gonna he's gonna do some heinous uh, violence here. It's so, I mean, actors in Hong Kong could jump genres, but yeah. Stephen obviously established himself like uh, the same year, really as a a comedy persona so that's why this is so jarring to see him just run over a pregnant lady uh so i mean it's it it's it's a beat for the movie and obviously i it 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 furthers the drama but 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 it's uh, it's strange to see it's really strange to see yeah i mean and there's been all sorts of wild things i've seen in hong kong cinema but 
you know, whether it be, I guess, even like going back to, I, I, I just can't stop mentioning it, but um, going back to like Kena Comedy, like that movie towards the end takes like a sharp turn to the left where they're actually in the middle of an action scenario where Stephen Chow has to pretend he's this, inf- he's becoming an informant for, you know, the police. And, um, you know, even that is pretty wild, but nothing to the stakes of, oh, wow, we're going to run over a pregnant lady. You know, this isn't Taxi Hunter, you know. It's strange. And he doesn't look fully comfortable, Stephen Chow, doing this, but he's, he's still he's still on the verge of transferring to uh, crafting his comedy persona. I mean, I don't, I'm not sure All for the Winner had come out yet at this point. Uh, perhaps it had, but uh, still he had this movie in the can and uh, it was going to come out anyway. So um, audiences didn't come and see it because of him. That's for sure, because it, 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 it merely did like 8 million Hong Kong dollars at the box office. Uh, it's it's quite cool that Wu, he's working with somewhat older actors here and the past Shaw Brothers stars. But putting guns in their hands is really cool, especially seeing, obviously, Chen Kuantai and David Chang two-gunning it, so to say, and taking out stuntmen dressed in white and with huge squibs rigged on them to make sure the blood effect comes through <laughs> like it should because you gotta dress in white overalls otherwise it isn't a heroic bloodshed movie and i really like how john puts that focus and then wuma of course uh, puts that focus on these slightly older actors and they're, they're 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 bringing it i think it's really really cool to see these do the signature moves of john's and uh obviously it had he, he used long in in a better tomorrow so he, he he showed that he could transform short brothers actors here it's more of a one-off to get everybody in which shows you to be the leads and therefore you are gonna two gun it but uh, it it fits man i mean uh that sequence in the warehouse uh, where danny lee and uh, david chang stand you know back to back and take out tons of stuntmen and that's that never gets old i find those sequences uh very well made and per default it just gets me excited in a way too because this is the genre i first encountered but seeing seeing these scenes so many years on you still realize that they are sharp and that's the comforting thing about just heroes that uh, it actually was well executed so uh, i guess i i'm not looking at this with rose tinted glasses <laughs> <So>. <laughs> i mean i i think it's justified though um like we've established, like this movie could have been so phoned in, so like undercooked, you know, not like the, I don't think anyone would go out of their way to like purposely make a lazy movie, but it, it it didn't need to be as good as it was. Like it would have been just as satisfying if it would have been half the movie it was. So, you know, and I think this is a film that if someone re-released this on Blu-ray, if, if some company picked this up, and did it on Blu-ray or even a DVD and gave it like a really nice transfer and made it more accessible. I think it would, I think it would sell well. I think it's got enough elements that would make it, you know, prime for rediscovery, you know? Oh, oh for sure. And uh, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll get to it. It is on DVD, but not English friendly DVD. So at least, um, you know, it's, it's half out there in a way, but we'll get to that without spoiling it. Um, uh, any favorite uh, gunplay sequence in a movie or any favorite moment you want to single out? You know, it's going to sound cliche, but the the last 
the last shootout in the house is definitely when they go into the safe house. That is, it's something I could watch separate from the movie. And it's something that in context of the movie is a very satisfying ending. And like I said, just seeing David Chain and seeing, you know, Danny Lee just like, you know, doing all sorts of crazy acrobatics, jumping down staircases, shotgun in one hand, machine gun in the other. Like, it's just a really like it sounds silly, but it's really convincing and really good. And um, it's one of my favorite John Woo action sequences. And, uh, you know, that's saying a lot because he's done so many great ones, you know. The, the the sequence kicks off really well. I mean, the, the, there's a character walking center with his henchman beside him. One of the henchmen kicks it off by shooting and then throwing a knife. And that moment is in slow motion. And, and John really picks those moments well. Just like Chang Chia did. He, he knows how to pick very subtle moments for slow motion, actually. I, I don't think he gets credit enough sometimes uh, in terms of what moments to slow down. And they aren't always about action they're about the effect after having been hit or after ducking or feeling you know shrapnel hitting you from from something hitting the wall or something exploding you know so so it's not always about seeing the squib come at us in slow motion by the way uh, the squibs do come at us in this movie (laughs) oh yes it's so refreshing to see squibs. They're, they're so overloaded with squibs, these stuntmen, so some of the blood ends up on the camera. <laughs> so it's like, yep, we're not going to do that again. <laughs> this is the, Yeah, this is a one take. Uh, wow, it's like Frank Sinatra. But, I mean, there is, I mean, there is definitely those moments where, you know, like you were saying about picking the right moments in slow-mo. Um, you know, there's one where, you know, like Danny Lee gets shot at and as he's going down the stairs like he kind of jumps and hits the wall and it slows down just for a couple seconds but it's enough to to like punch up every scene you know his instinct for that was really really sharp especially at this time and they're almost per default but not you know but they didn't generate lazy work and uh, so it's a it's vintage stuff that never grows old for me I really really got excited watching this ending sequence again is really elite i think it's uh, it, it's a signature sequence of this movie but it's not a wait to get to this stuff because we get decent interval uh, like a uh, decent amount of action b- before that's similar to this so it's not like this was the only sequence they had time to do really pleasing really pleasing oh yeah especially like you know even to a lesser extent like the opening you know, jumping around the boat, uh, using the the shipyard to like deflect bullets. Like, I mean, just the choreography itself is amazing. And then, of course, you have Danny Lee on the motorcycle coming in, and it's perfectly paced out little moments. You never, it never drags on where you're like, okay, we get it, you know. And and despite these uh, scenarios being set at such standard locations he's there you know he and his action team and uh, i'm gonna name uh, the two action directors credited were uh, yunbun and uh, lao gawing so and and they're both in the movie as well so <laughs> you know they're not gonna waste uh waste their um, presence you're gonna be in the movie too it, it's it's really like a, a sequence at a dock sequence at a house sequence at a warehouse but they don't need to make those things that original for it to come alive and it certainly does but uh, just like kung fu movies were set at standard locations if you execute within then it doesn't need to be that original for it to be cinematic 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, think of how many great action set pieces happen to take place at tea houses. I mean, it's it's something that's familiar, but you can do so many scenarios with it. But but yeah, I mean, kind of the long and short of it. I mean, it's just I think Just Heroes is perfect comfort food. It's a really well polished film, and I really do hope that someone picks it up. It, it might be a little too niche to kind of warrants like a crazy uh like two disc special edition or something you know kind of like what dragon dynasty used to do you know eureka right now is doing iron monkey i don't think you'll ever really get that kind of status or it can get a big special edition release but i feel if it gets a proper like english language release i think it will uh definitely be rediscovered and uh, in terms of availability and what, what we had and what we have. Uh, so it was once available on uh, UK VHS and Laserdisc back in the day. I bought the VHS back in the day, so it's quite a watched uh, version. I bought the Laserdisc uh, last year. It's from the same company, so it's the same transfer with no subtitles and all of that. But the pro to this release at the time was that it was the full uncut version. It uh, featured the, the full array of violence that was missing from the Hong Kong version. Sensor cuts were just sloppy cuts, I'm not too sure, but it was it was also missing, and I won't spoil it, but there's a finale reveal and uh, content regarding the who the villain is, right? In this full version, there's a flashback to a um, dialogue we didn't hear 20 minutes earlier. Uh, there's a, a female character that says something to another character in, in his ear and reveals who's the villain in this movie in this full version we see that play out again but in the short version or the cut version they sort of just cut that out and had the fin- had the villain be revealed sort of at the end uh, reveal it himself so uh, this was strangely cut this plot not twist but this plot content was cut from the hong kong cinema version uh, as well as i said uh, violence and it was not smoothly cut either according to a friend who saw both versions they, they, this movie was just missing things almost randomly and uh, mm-hmm. it, it was uncut in the uk thankfully not even a a, sen- uh, a local uh, any local sensor cuts uh, so it, it was all intact if you saw it on taiwanese vhs back in the day that was uncut and the french dvd that doesn't have English subtitles, but the French DVD is also uncut and features, you know, a fairly decent anamorphic transfer. And it's paired up with, um, you know, like a two DVD package. It's paired up with uh, the, the release of Once a Thief. But again, no, oh, okay. no English subtitles for um, for that for, because the French releases generally did not have it. Now, people have put custom subtitles on this version and put it on the internet. So if you're interested in the movie... Pick up the DVD and then download in good conscience. And and the French DVD is actually available for mostly reasonable pri- prices on, for instance, the French Amazon marketplace. And if you can navigate Amazon in America or anywhere else, then you can navigate in uh, the same site in uh, in French. So that's what I recommend doing. It's actually... I remember a friend told me that they didn't really advertise that Just Heroes was on there, but it was on a second DVD, so... You picked up once a thief, and oh yeah, bonus, just heroes, sweet, good. <laughs> like uh, the the same label, which I think is HK Video, they they did the same on the on the release of um, of Kirk Wong's movie Gunman. Speaking of Choi Hak, it's a Choi Hak production, and uh, you know you have some extras on there, some interviews, and apparently, I didn't know this. A friend told me this, and then I found out myself. Apparently, within 
the filmography section of a DVD. They hid a bonus movie. They hid the movie Shanghai Grand, which is a movie starring Andy Lau and Leslie Cheung, on that wow. DVD of Gunman. Not even as a, like a, a fully visible special feature, but rather when you uh, filmographies. Where? Why is that thing highlighted? Click. Well, hey, it's a whole movie. Again, no English subtitles, but uh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I gotta work on my French then. For sure. Because uh, uh, the HK video label was, uh, when they were still releasing stuff, they, they they put out some things that just were forgotten in Hong Kong or never upgraded to any watchable uh, uh, quality. I mean, the grand example on the French market anyway, it's a different label, but the grand example of the friend on the French market was when they put out Johnny Toast movie, The Mission. Yes. And that print was about a thousand percent better than what was put out in Hong Kong. And I'm not being picky, but the mission looked like trash in Hong Kong. And when mm-hmm. uh, they put out that clearer version on French DVD, you realize that that movie was was actually much better than you thought. <laughs> and much more slick than you thought. On Hong Kong DVD, it looked like a grimy sort of low-budget movie. And on French DVD, it looked like a low-budget movie looking like a million bucks. So there, there can be um, there can be a case for like, yeah, some spit and polish helps cinematically. <laughs> so <laughs> cleaning it up will do a million things. Exactly. At any rate, uh, we are done for this episode. Uh, we are not going to do an extensive plugin section in terms of the networks plugs. I'm just going to say that for all your podcast on fire network needs, go to podcastonfire.com. You'll find all relevant social media links, links to my review website, and all that good stuff. And uh, also our iTunes feed is linked to click the buttons at the top of the website. But the full firm plug is the, the one that you'll, you'll get because you're the special co-host and guest and uh, so if people have forgotten what's the name of your radio show slash podcast and where can i find it tyler well thank you um it's trapped in the screen room and you can find it at mymetmedia.com and also if you want to check us out on facebook we do have a facebook page just search trapped in the screen room Thank you so much for having me on the show, man. Well, we'll uh, we'll certainly do it uh, sometime again. Uh, you partly programmed this episode or, or fully programmed it. I don't remember now, but uh, I just said yes to the selections because uh, it's an excuse to watch Manhunt and uh, an excuse to rewatch Just Heroes. So I'm uh, thankful, thankful for, for that opportunity. So, uh, But uh, at any rate, we are going to sign off. And uh, I've been Kennedy and with me was Tyler Miller. So Awesome sauce. That was a lot of fun. Thanks for doing it. Appreciate it. <laughs>